Welcome to The 100 Podcast. It's Ed and Charlie here with you. Hope you're well. Today, we are joined by Joe Maiden from the Southern Brave. Joe, how you doing? Hey, guys. Uh, thanks for having me on. I'm, I'm well, thank you. Hope you guys are good too. Yeah, we're good, thanks. Now, Joe, just to kick us off, could you give us a little bit of background, a little kind of nutshell summary of what you do with the Southern Brave? Uh, well, it's kind of been a sort of longer, longer term sort of process, really. It started back uh, with the 2019 draft. Um, so in the build up to that sort of helped produce sort of lists of players that we might be looking at um, to then obviously combine with coaches opinions and, and go for in the draft. And then obviously the tournament didn't didn't go ahead. So a few things have changed since then and sort of re, uh, replacement players and stuff. So uh, now now the tournament has started, it's sort of um, providing the analytical support throughout the tournament, um, looking at sort of how we can exploit weaknesses in opposition where they might look at us and and things like that. So that's a pretty much it in a nutshell. Yeah. I guess the 100 is basically an entirely unknown quantity, really, with there's no real data for pass scores, economy rates, strike rates, etc. Was it a challenge for you to apply T20 data to the 100 and try and work out what tactics, what players, etc. might be best suited from that? Uh, I, I guess so. I think that when you're limited to that kind of information, um, you kind of got to try and make the most of it. I think with what we tried to sort of highlight was what where we thought the key things were going to be. So players who can start quickly, um, players who obviously score boundaries, and then also kind of those matchups against Seaman spin, guys that can sort of tick boxes against both. So for us, you can kind of exploit some of the stuff from T20 with that in terms of who are the fast starters who are who are able to hit boundaries early in their innings. And then from a bowling perspective, it was a case of just trying to get the right sort of matchups um, for what, what we thought was going to be important at our ground mainly because obviously you play half your games there. So it was it was quite a fun ex- experience to be involved in. Um, lots of sort of names floated around. But um, yeah, I think we, we were very happy with the squad we ended up with. Yeah, so talk me through that draft process, I guess. I, I appreciate that's a very large question, but I'm really curious about your strategy. How did you and the, the Brave team go about identifying the talent you wanted? And how did you make sure that you had a, a balanced squad to, to kind of work off in the end? Well, I think obviously the we were second pick, so we kind of had an idea that um, who would go first. And then from there, you obviously, things can be adaptable if someone went slightly differently. Now, obviously, our first couple of picks in the original draft are no longer with us and not available. Um, but our initial plan, we obviously looked at sort of data. We had some ideas on the type of players we were looking to sign. Like I say, fast starters, good against seam spin, uh, boundary percentages, all those types of things. Um, and we kind of like ranked them. So we we had like your domestic players, your, your overseas players and um, from there, we kind of produce a, a list, which then sort of furthermore was added to by coaching staff. We sort of reference character, um, sort of general being like a good athlete. We thought fielding, we wanted to have good athletes in the field. Um, and once you kind of package that all together, you kind of came up with your final list uh, for the draft. And and then you you just got to be adaptable as the draft was going along. So um yeah i mean our plan was we wanted we wanted to, early on we got pace into our attack which was which was good um from domestic level 
Um, and yeah, just generally trying to fill roles once we knew we had a couple of top order batters looking to go for the sort of more dangerous domestic middle over players, guys that can can sort of score against Seaman spin and score quickly as well. So um, yeah, it was kind of the the draft night itself was pretty was pretty frantic trying to figure out what teams were doing and um, where we were going to go next and and stuff. But the the amount of quality that was in the draft, you always like every team you look at now, they've all got match winners. Um, so there's always going to be that element of there's eight strong teams in the competition with with guys that can win games for you. So um, yeah, like I said earlier, we we were pretty happy with what we came out with. Um, and and yeah, it was it was just fun to be involved with. Yeah, you definitely came out with a very strong squad, and we'll get onto that in a second. But you mentioned briefly there about picking players in mind with your home conditions, and the Aegeus Bowl is quite a unique home ground, I guess. Very big outfield. I think it has a much, there's a very different, I guess, um, kind of tactical vibe to games there because of the outfield and stuff. How much did um, that that pitch and the ground itself and wanting to create a home advantage for you guys play into how you went about assembling the squad? Yeah, well, I think obviously traditionally here, like you say, a big surface area, um, spins generally done well, the wickets normally turned more. Um, so that definitely played a, played a part in our initial sort of draft strategy um i think we picked up liam dawson quite early um in terms of knowing home conditions and, and things like that we had shadab in the original draft who's obviously now unavailable um and then yeah we we wanted to prioritize some some good quality domestic spinners and we've we've been lucky to pick up briggsy and jake lintot over the uh, sort of last year when we've had the option to um i think that the difficult thing's been sort of trying to read what types of wickets there are. There's obviously a few grounds we play on now that are like hybrid wickets. And um, I think we we might be playing on a hybrid as well. So it's actually trying to understand whether the, the sort of underlying KPIs of what the Aegeus Bowl might be are still the same on those types of surfaces. I know we've seen a lot of, because of the TV wickets being fairly central, I'd imagine there's going to be two wickets for each sort of venue you'd probably see the first one being a, a fresh wicket and the second one obviously having been played on like the Trent Bridge example the other night offered a little bit more for the spinners than it did in the first game um so yeah I mean it's it's good to have sort of feel like you've got bases covered for your home ground that was that was important um and I feel like like you said from the start of the draft we we kind of went in with that as trying to make sort of home a fortress and Hopefully tomorrow we can start that off. Yeah, absolutely. And it, you do have a really good squad and we feel that it does have a good balance for the GS Bowl. But obviously with the COVID-19 pandemic and some of the stuff going on before the tournament, plans get messed up a bit. I think you've lost all three of your original overseas players in Warner, Stoinis and Russell. Uh, and you lost Russell quite late on. Obviously, you've got very good replacements in Decot, Conway and De Granton, but what was that process like for you guys to find quality replacements for some of the very best players in the world in what must have been quite a time-constrained scenario? Yeah, well, I think ultimately you were you were kind of guided by availability of, of overseas players. Like you say, tours were start, starting to come in. We had Stoyness, and then all of a sudden, Australia have got a new tour and guys aren't coming. Um, and then you're just kind of looking at the other guys that had a sort of freer schedule and 
some someone like De Kock's always gonna always gonna be high on people's agenda because of the quality of player he is. Um, Devon Conway has obviously had a phenomenal start to international cricket, and he's been on the rise over the last sort of couple of years. So for him, it was it was an opportunity to to get him in. He was obviously playing uh, domestically for Somerset in the Blast, um, and Colin obviously as a late replacement for Andre um, was someone who sort of had had a good impact at, at Hampshire um with what he'd been doing and I guess you can you can kind of look at it and say it's it's changed in terms of like Russell to the Grandome in terms of batting can be quite similar um similarly effective you obviously lose that extra pace from from Andre but the other guys that we've signed you you'd probably sort of say in terms of form at the moment the, the form that Quinny and uh, Devon are in in world cricket they're very good sort of additions to the squad yeah, I have to say that they're very strong replacements, actually. I, I think, actually, we spoke before the tournament. and We suggested that some of them could be upgrade, potentially, who you had originally signed. Um, I think they're very, very good picks. But when I look through your squad, I see a very strong Sussex and Hampshire flavour. Um, I'm curious to know, was that an intentional decision to try and keep it local, to kind of keep that identity? Or did you just happen to think they were the best cricketers for your squad? I think there's two ways of looking at it. You've obviously got that that, that local... Um, sort of inside knowledge. I, I think I listened to Freddie's uh, podcast he did with you guys and he spoke about how sort of you, if you have some of the local coaches, you're more likely to go on two guys you're not 100% sure about, you're more likely to go on the knowledge you have of those. Um, I think the other way of looking at it is that, so sort of that, you look at the strong teams that have done well over the last few years. So Trent Rockets have assembled a majority Nottinghamshire-based side. But when you look at how effective Nottinghamshire have been in the blast, it kind of makes sense that they've gone for those teams that are players that have been involved in successful teams. And Sussex obviously have been have been that. That doesn't mean you go for a Sussex player if they're not good enough. But we have got sort of a lot of different options from Sussex. We've got obviously the local Hampshire guys as well. Um, and I think it, like you say, it's just just about knowing those those conditions. Some of these guys have played a lot of cricket at the Aegeus Bowl as well. Um, so it kind of it's always in your thought process when you start sort of thinking about these guys for selection and you've obviously got the inside coach info for um, like some of those guys you might not know too much about outside of what their data says. Yeah, and let's talk about that pace attack you mentioned there. It is obviously a very Sussex heavy. You got Joffre and then you kind of acquired Chris Jordan, Tymor Mills, George Garton. We know how good that Sussex pace attack is. It really is just, I think, one of the best pace tacks out there in world cricket. It's amazing how they've got that level of talent there. And obviously, you've got that level of talent there. Was it important for you to go out and get these genuine, the genuinely just great and versatile quick bowlers? Because obviously, we know how good Joffre Archer is. He just is. Chris John's a great death bowler. Tymor Mills is a really special death bowler. How important was it for you guys to recruit a pace attack like that who were so special and so skillful and so experienced and could be a real trump card for you. Yeah, well, I mean, ultimately, guys who can bowl high pace are, are going to be effective, whether that's sort of certain conditions. Obviously, there's there's some wickets you might come up against where pace on the ball is, is nice, but what we have with those guys, the luxury with them is they've all got good skills in terms of their change-ups as well. So on wickets that might not be as nice to bowl quick on, they've, they've got the option to do both. I think... Um, ultimately, if you've got Tamal at the end of his mark and you know he's running in bowling 90 plus miles an hour um, with also his option at the back of the hand slower ball, then 
you can get on top of batters early. We haven't managed to do that yet um, in terms of picking up those early wickets, but in terms of guys and their super strengths, you sort of got guards who early on swings the new ball and can be a genuine wicket-taking option in the power play. Uh, Craig's been very effective in the power play for Somerset. And like you've already alluded on, Tamal and CJ at the back end, um, their skills are, are very, very good. So in terms of like having that out-and-out pace attack complemented by some of our um, good domestic spinners, we feel that we've got a nice balance to that bowling unit. Yeah, and it's a really strong domestic attack, which I think is really fun. It, it's so nice to, to see, I think, to have a, a domestic core like that. Obviously, the first couple of games, as you kind of alluded to, haven't quite gone your way. But as you said, this is a tournament with a lot of, I guess, high-variant scenarios where you're going up against teams that have loads of talent as well. How do you, as a squad, obviously starting your games at home, which can be a strength for you, how do you go about uh, working out where you need to improve and uh, how you want to move forward for the rest of the competition? Yeah, that's, that's a good question. I think ultimately... You kind of the first the first game against Trent Rockets was completely new for everyone, and the sort of speed that everything happened, and we kind of didn't really really get going. The other night we kind of felt like we were in control of the game for long periods against Welsh Fire, um, and we kind of just lost it towards the back end. But I think in terms of how we, how we're planning, we're looking at we've we've obviously signed these guys into this squad because they've got exceptional talents at what uh, what they do. Um, it's trying to highlight. That's the reason they're here. Um, almost taking the fear out of the what the opposition could do, and saying that what our guys do is is definitely good enough. Um, the, the games have been there's such small margins, like a catch that doesn't quite carry, or an inside edge that goes for or hits the hits short fine leg. Those types of things just feels like you just need to get on a bit of a roll um, with stuff. And we're hoping that now we've had our two away games we've got a home game tomorrow we can we can kind of assess conditions early and uh sort of get on a roll from there of course and you've got plenty of time to get that roll going i guess and really challenge for that title now um obviously it's early days and i guess it's hard to say for sure but what do you make so far about the tactical options that are presenting themselves in this tournament with the new format for example you know you have the pretty enviable option of bowling 20 balls at the death of Jordan and Mills, they can bowl 10 straight through if they wanted to. What do you make of those potential matchups that you now have? Yeah, I mean, the the way, the more condensed the game's going, the more important those matchups are. Um, the, the interesting thing we've found so far in terms of having sort of direct matchups, whether that's looking at um, individual records against certain batters or a certain preference on a type of bowling, um, very rarely do you come up against guys where you've got two genuine matchups where you go, you could bowl your left arm spinner at both of these batters because his record's not very good. Generally, you've got one guy whose record's not great and the other guy whose record's exceptional. So again, it's that small margin sort of thinking where if you can get the majority of balls bowled at the guy who's not as good, then you sort of give yourself that best chance with that matchup. Um, I think guys generally from, from what I've seen in games so far, it's, it's more been around the feel of the game, how uh, even the first game, like Hartley bowled the opening over against the Oval. Um, and he obviously landed his first five well and went straight straight through with 10. So guys, the captains are very much getting a feel for what's going on in the middle. Um, you can obviously have your, your ideas in terms of pre-planned matchups. 
um, that might be effective. But generally, I think it's a really a really good tactical addition, and um, yeah, it's just interesting to see how different teams have, have sort of gone about getting the best out of it. Yeah, and how do you see these kind of, I guess, tactical nuances to the hundred potentially impacting team strategies and team? 20 cricket moving forward. I mean, we've seen this year the T20 Blast, I think is the highest scoring competition on record. And obviously the 100 with 20 best deliveries does mean teams could go at it a bit more. Do you think that that's something we'll see more in T20 cricket? What kind of impact do you think the 100 will have on that moving forward? Well, I, I think definitely. Um, I, I'm going to allude back onto Freddie's one again. that He sort of spoke about how the 40-over competition probably had that effect on the 50-over white ball England side. I think it's it's encouraging guys to play without fear. Um, almost take that understanding that the value of your wicket, you can sort of get too tied down with that. And actually, if you play with freedom and, and really back your skills, that you can start pushing those pass scores up and run rates up. Um, and obviously in a condensed format, guys are going to their their options a lot earlier and really backing them. So I think it's only going to be a positive thing. Um, and also from a bowling perspective, the skill set that you're going to need to require to sort of not just look to get batters out early, but know where their options are, where their boundary options are, how you can close them down and get out of your overs is is also going to be important as well. Yeah, I think this is a cheeky question. You don't have to answer it. But obviously you kind of alluded to that all the squads in this competition are really strong and we still think that you've definitely got one of the strongest squads. But having watched a few of these different games, are there any sides that stand out to you so far? Yeah, well, I think we've obviously played Trent Rockets, so I've probably got a little bit of bias on them. I think they've they've got a very nicely balanced side with, with options um, and a lot of know-how how to win at Trent Bridge as well. Um, I think the Oval Invincibles have got a got a strong team but like I say every, there's every single team you come up against there's there's match winners and all it takes is for one or two of those to have a day out um, and it can really sort of change the change the way the game's going so I think uh, from our point of view we just need to try and get on that roll um, I think we, we all believe that we've got a very strong squad we've got good options and we just kind of need to get get going really which is it's a shame it's taking us till till now to sort of get there but hopefully uh tomorrow night we can put that right cool well best of luck for the rest of the tournament joe we really do believe you've got a strong squad and we're really excited to to see you guys go for the rest of the tournament so uh, best of luck and thank you so much for taking the time to join us awesome thank you very much guys pleasure to be on Thank you very much for listening to the podcast. You can find us on Twitter at Podcast 100. We've got loads of clips there, loads of different stuff going on. So make sure to follow us there. And please rate, review and subscribe to the podcast. We'd love to know what you think and uh, it would really help us out. So thank you very much for listening to the 100 podcast and we'll speak to you next time. Listener.